listening to Law and Gospel on this Rumination Thursday, May the 16th in the year of our Lord 2019. And normally on Rumination Thursday, we're going to be talking with Wes Reimnitz, but he's on assignment this week. And so I had to find someone else who'd be willing to come on. At the congregation I was at for 28 years, I was very fortunate to receive almost 60 seminarians assigned to my congregation while they were at the seminary. They were called field workers. And I believe the first three field workers I received were John Kirsten, Peter Karowski, and James Norton. And right now we have with us on the phone Pastor Norton. Hi, Jim. Hi, Pastor Tom. How you doing? I'm just sitting in my retirement chair. Oh, and your wife is bringing you drinks and things like that? In in your dreams, Tom. Yeah. Oh, that's not good. I get my wife mixed up with yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. Yeah, Sambo, boy. Uh, she was. She just got back from, what, two weeks dealing with uh, horses again? Uh, she's a horse show secretary, and she had to go to Perry, Georgia for two weeks to, to uh, do the show. Yes. Well, when we were talking about what we would be able to talk about, fortunately, after you left the congregation, uh, you went to one congregation and then to another one in Nicomas, Illinois, which wasn't that far from St. Louis. And how many Thanksgiving meals did we have there with you? <laughs> well, I was there 30 years, Tom, so... Oh, boy. <laughs> Quite a few. Yeah, we really enjoyed that, especially uh, playing hockey in the basement with the kids and all this. We, that was wild. It yeah. just was really wonderful. Now, Nokomis actually has two congregations, correct? One in the city, and you were in the rural area? St. Paul's is four miles outside of town, and we were the mother church, and some people that went to town started Trinity. They didn't want to make the drive out, so sure. yeah, two churches. Well... I know they loved you there. In fact, I hear they're having their 150th anniversary, and they're asking you to come back to uh, preach for them, right? Right. It's uh, August of next year. Well, we're not only going to talk a little bit about rural congregations from your point of view, but you were also involved somewhat with the military. Can you describe your status there? Uh I spent two year, one year in Vietnam and came home, and I entered seminary in, in uh, I graduated seminary in 79, right. and I joined the chaplain corps in 79, and I was in the chaplain corps for 25 years. Did that take you away from the congregation occasionally? Oh, yeah. One weekend a month and two weeks in the summertime, but... Uh, when I took the call to Nokomis, they had been vacant three years. I was call number 21, and they would do anything for us. <laughs> yeah, and they I, did. I tell and people that. it was not that. a problem, me being a chaplain. They thought it was pretty cool. Yes, uh, because they're very much in support of the military in oh, that yeah. area. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. It's kind of a central Illinois congregation, correct? Yeah, I had a lot of veterans in there. Really? Uh, World War II and Korea. Well, you had been at uh, my congregation, St. James University City, which is a city congregation. How did you see what was different in the rural area that you were there for so many years? Well, in your city churches, you have more moving. In the country churches, 
most of the people that are there have lived there their whole life, basically. And uh, a lot of people married uh, neighbors and stuff. And so you can't say anything about anybody because they're all related. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I noticed that. I preached a number of times for you there. Yeah. And the Bible study, you always had a good group out there for the Bible study prior to the worship service. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they loved having you there. Well, they really loved the Word of God. Yeah. And that was interesting. And then wasn't your wife a choir director? She was the choir director and the bell choir director. No, that's right. That's right, yes. Yeah. And so we, we really had a great time there, and I still run into those people every now and then. And so it was a great congregation. Of course, then you retired, and you haven't done anything since then. Right. <laughs> well, I intended to retire. Well, I, I moved up here. To where? Uh, we're in Altoona, Wisconsin, which is right next to Eau Claire. Uh, I wanted to get a call up here because my wife's parents were in their 80s, needed a little help. Sure. So I told both DPs I wanted to move, but I didn't get a call. So I just told them when I turned 65, I'm going to retire and move, and that's what we did. And, and so when I first got here, yep. of course, I wasn't doing anything. Um, so I started working at Menards as a morning stalker from 5 to 9, six days a week. And once in a while, I'd, I'd have an assignment to preach for somebody. Sure. But then a uh, a dual parish opened up a vacancy. They asked me to take it. So then they asked me to be the vacancy pastor. And then they wanted me to come out of retirement and be a call pastor. So after about a few seconds of thought, <laughs> I took it because I, I really wasn't ready to retire. No, I know you weren't. Yeah, I mean, I don't see how pastors retire, but I'll tell you. In the area that I'm at, the reason I'm having an opportunity to help with four congregations right now, there are very few retired pastors yeah. who desire to be preaching uh, anymore. A lot of times it's distance. My one congregation, in fact, I'm going to them today, is about 400 miles away. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a round trip of 400 and such. Well, I don't feel so bad. My my first congregation, Bethlehem, is a 40-mile round trip, so I'll think of that when I do that again. Yes. Well, the other one's only a 300-mile round trip. <laughs> I was there last night. Yeah. But, um, and we're getting ready for uh, Ascension coming up and such. Tell me a little bit about, was there that much a difference between the rural congregation in Nokomis and where you're at right now? No, no. Um People are people, and uh, you minister to country folks like you do to city folks, uh, but you have d different topics when you get together. They talk about crops and cattle and stuff, and city people probably talk about the new malls opening up or closing or something. So your discussions probably are different for one thing. Um, but another problem that both have is a lot of people just don't see the need to go to church anymore. Is that right? Yeah. Even in the rural areas? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of times the kids end up going to college and rarely come back into the rural areas. Isn't that well, correct? That's what happened to Nokomis, yeah. When I went there in 81, we filled the church over 300 people every Sunday. Wow. And when I left uh, in 12, uh, we were getting uh, around 100. Yeah. But a lot of kids moved away and the older folks passed away. 
And then isn't there also the fact that in a rural area, other people buy the farmland so less people own the farms than they did at that time? Yeah, there's fewer people living around there, but the land is still being worked. Yes, but one person may have a lot more land to work oh, yeah. than, than normally. That's yeah, not a... And, and like in Nokomis, too, the young people probably don't stay around, so the congregations will get smaller. Yes, yes. Yeah, I know you had a school when you got there, and that had to be kind of yeah, postponed. Yeah, ran out of kids. Yeah, ran out of kids and such. And yep. that's uh, really a, a problem all over the place. Oh, sure. Tell us a little bit about your military experience. Uh, what was your main task as a chaplain? Take care of the people. And Just how like would a, that occur? A pastor. Uh, my parish was more more diverse, not all Lutheran, of course. And uh, when I started as a battalion chaplain, I had five five different companies, uh, most of them in Springfield, a couple not. So that involved traveling and uh, trying to hold services when there's other things going on. Um, now, when you say battalions and companies... Uh, a lot of people aren't familiar with that. Well, how many people are in a battalion, or how, what does that comprise? Well, it depends on what kind of battalion you are. An infantry battalion will have more people than, like, a, a battery of cannons and stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, a battalion can be anywhere from 500 to 1,000 or more. Wow. Then from battalion, you go to brigade, which is made up of battalions. From brigade, you go to division or state which is made up of many brigades. I went from battalion chaplain, and you can only stay there as long as your your promotion allows you. Uh, when I made major, I had to go to brigade, and then the assistant uh, general asked me to be the state chaplain, so then I became a state asset, which meant I was not deployable anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. But... I suppose when somebody needed you, you had to go and be with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Can you give uh, an example of how you ministered and how it helped uh, the soldiers in these situations? Well, when I go to a drill weekend, yes. Um, sometimes it'd be, if we had a PT test, I'd do a PT test with all the other guys. What's a PT Physical training, you had to. Oh yeah. uh, okay. You had to pass the test twice a year. Wow! And if you don't pass it on the second failure, you're out. Now I understood yeah. that chaplains were not allowed to carry armed we are weapons. Combatant. Wow. Which means you don't carry a weapon. Yes. But problem is, states like or countries like China and Russia and others, they don't recognize that. What does that mean? <clears throat> that they can shoot at you? <laughs> oh, sure. Oh, yeah. my. They don't recognize a, a chaplain. They call, they call him an information officer. Uh, the chaplains that went to Korea, none of them came home. Why? They died? Yeah. Really? If they were taken prisoner, they didn't return. Yes. Wow. As far as I can ascertain from what I've read and things. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So... That's kind of a close group. How would you suggest, because we have individuals who are thinking of going to the seminary, if they come to the seminary, when would they need to decide that they want to be 
uh, military chaplain as you were? If they want to get into it, I would suggest getting in. We have an armed forces commission at synod level. Yes. And they're in the Propo Palace, and all you have to do is contact them when you enter seminary and apply for candidate status. Oh. Then your your clock begins ticking if you want to go for 20 years. Then you, if they if they accept you as a candidate, then you become a chaplain candidate, and then you have to find a unit, and do your drills and everything, and when you uh, graduate seminary, then four years later, then you apply for chaplain status, and then you become a chaplain. So you're working with a unit maybe while you're still at the seminary. Oh, yeah. What what if you sure. get a call where the unit isn't located? If you get a call, then you have to do, join another unit. You can do a branch transfer, go from Army National Guard to Army Reserve. That's what I did when I went from uh, Kansas to Illinois. I was in the Reserve, but Reserve had no openings, so I joined the National Guard, and they had an opening in Springfield. Well, that's interesting. But, yeah, you got to find a unit. They don't come to you. Yes. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Is there much uh, in your experience of congregations not wanting their pastor to be involved with this? I have never heard of one. Excellent. Very well could be. Maybe maybe some don't want the pastor to be gone at all. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but, once um, a month they have to have somebody. Were you the one who had to find someone to preach for you when you were gone that one weekend each month? Uh, no, I just talked to my commander, and I I did drill Friday Saturday, so oh. I wouldn't go on Sunday. Oh, that's smart. Well, you can if you talk to your commander, he's pretty. He knows your situation, you know, and uh, he'll probably work with you. So you are a Lutheran chaplain, of course. Did that have much of an impact? Uh, like, for example, I'll go to. Uh, I'm, I'm doing animal instruction this afternoon. Another about a 400-mile round trip. But yeah. these folks I've already talked to, and they're really not that understanding about Lutheranism. So I'm really looking forward to this because they're going to get some surprises about what we teach. Did yeah. you find that also in your work? A now or as a chaplain? As a chaplain. Um, well, I did a service on Saturdays, and I also had... Uh, um, I put an article in the battalion newsletter, and, of course, they would all be Lutheran-oriented. You mean the articles? Huh? The, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. And when I went to summer camp, we always had a daily bulletin, and I had a chaplain's corner, and I would talk about various uh, topics that uh, I thought they should know about. Like, yes. Like, uh, are you ready to die? Or Right. You know, all kinds of stuff. And that had the Lutheran point of view also. Excellent. So they, they got Lutheranism all the time. Now, one of these things, uh, rumors that I keep hearing about is some chaplains are told not to emphasize certain parts of Christianity. Like you're not supposed to say to a soldier who may have homosexual tendencies that that is a sin. What's your opinion on that? And what are you allowed to say? Well, when I was in the service, there was an Army regulation, AR-165, which said, and I quote, no one, may, no one may tell the chaplain what to say. Wow. Because the chaplain has to 
work and act according to the uh, denomination he belongs to. Is that still in effect? I don't know. Oh, okay. But according to that, a general couldn't tell you, you know, don't you talk about Jesus today. Wow. I have to. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And so I asked the two guys at the Armed Forces Commission, one's a Navy guy. This is a few years ago now. I said, what are you telling your chaplain? Because that, that was when this whole thing started with Navy chaplain. And then it branched out from there. I said, what are you telling the chaplains? And they said, they're telling the chaplain, do what you got to do and let the chips fall where they may. Yes. Yeah. Well, well that's what I do. Right. I did. Now, you're retired uh, from the chaplaincy. Do you do anything at all anymore in that area? Uh, only, uh, I'm in the American Legion in Augusta, and sometimes the Legion is asked to be at a funeral for a veteran. Oh, yes. So I do that quite a bit, and now, I'm when the you only say guy you, that can still fit into my dress. Uh, when you say you do that, you mean you're just present, or you actually say something? No, no, no. Uh, I don't say anything. Yeah. In fact, I'm one of the guys that shoot the rifle. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so there's, uh, let's see, it's 21 gunshot salute? If you have enough guys, you shoot three volleys, right? Yeah, and so you have to have uh, three into 21 is seven guys. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you use blanks or do you use real bullets? Oh, they're blanks. Yeah, because you don't know where the bullet's going to fall down. When my when Sam's dad passed away, he was a World War II vet, and I, I I was there, and I was one of the guys shooting the rifle, and it was raining, raining, raining. Boy. We were Sam, standing in the rain. Sam, of course, is your wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I call you Jimbo and her Sambo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I won't tell you we call you. Uh, no, not on the radio, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's why I had 60 field workers, and you were right at the bottom, the last one I could call. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I couldn't believe how many were unavailable for today. They either had Bible studies they were involved with, or they were out of town, etc. Uh -huh. So I really appreciate you uh, being on here. Now, are you enjoying the um, congregations you're at right now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of nice people. Um, we've had them to the house for a Christmas gathering and uh, had a lot of fun. We had a ladies' aid meeting here one time, and, uh, yeah, the, the people are real nice, and um, they appreciate my, my being there, even though I'm an older guy. Well, a lot of congregations feel that the older a pastor is, the more he is knowledgeable about the Bible. For example, when I got out of the seminary, I didn't know near as much about the Bible as I do now. Well, and you so, grow in the faith, yeah. That's right. You, you grow in the faith, and uh, you do sermons, and uh, after a while... Yeah, you do a lot of reading. Do you do any study? Like, you're too far away from the SEM to take courses or such, but do you do any reading, Jim? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's stuff on the Internet now that oh, sure. the two seminaries, you know, where you can go to. When I have ladies' aid, sometimes a question comes up. So I just go to my smartphone and ask my smartphone. The answer? Yeah, it does. Okay, let's try it. Why are some saved and others aren't? Why are some what? Why are some people saved and others are not? 
What's your smartphone say about that? I don't know. Sam has my phone. Oh, well, I'll tell you the truth, Jim. There is no answer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to try that on the phone, though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. you'll get... Oh, from Roman Catholic, you'll say uh, you're saved because you do uh, good works along with the faith. And the oh, Calvinists, course. that's because you're predestined yeah, yeah. Uh, to heaven. And the Baptists, that's because you invite Christ into your heart. They all have answers. Oh, sure. Lutherans are the only ones that don't because there is no answer in the Bible. We'll figure out the answer. You know, I've <laughs> said to you when uh, you were a field worker, I'm looking forward to going to heaven. I'm going to Gabriel's booth of unanswered questions. And the first question is, why are some saved and others aren't? He's going to tell me, and I'm going to say, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm reading a book right now, 735 answers to, to difficult questions in the Bible. Really? Yeah. Well, that would be interesting. Can you think of one that they were suggesting was a difficult question? Well, the one I'm on now is in the book of Numbers, and of course they ask, they ask questions about the numbers. Are the numbers right or wrong? Or, and uh, it goes into quite a lengthy talk about why the numbers are what they are and why why they seem to be contradictory. And Yeah. No, yeah. I um, had uh, purchased CDs of the entire Bible, and not only does it have different voices for the different characters, it has music in the background, etc. And I was going through Chronicles, and it's just one name after another. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm trying to think, what kind of Bible study would I do on that, or Leviticus? But uh, Concordia Publishing House puts a commentary on, on Leviticus. It's done by an Australian theologian, uh, Lutheran, and he finds Jesus everywhere. I found it fascinating to really? read what he was talking about, because that, that's really... The, well, I've the, had people ask me, well, what good is this book? It just talks about numbers or a lot of names, and, you know... Well, you know, it deals with the 12 tribes. Yep. For instance, I was just listening to uh, Kings, First and Second Kings, and it just is a historical summary uh, from the time of Abraham on. Yeah. Names all the names, and and I, I can't figure out why are they saying, and uh, his mother was so-and-so of the tribe of so-and-so. <laughs> it gives so much detail. Yeah. You, you know what I find interesting is the person who's reading uh, the Bible, where there's not characters involved, how he's able to pronounce all those names. Yeah, and some aren't. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I always, when I see a reading with all the names on it, you have to practice that ahead of time. Oh, yeah, it helps. Although I'm not sure that anyone in the congregation is going to say, no, you, you mispronounced yeah, that. You may, <laughs> I have a, a thing I got in uh, Israel when I was over there in 2010. It's a genealogy of Jesus. You unroll it from the tube, and it's about six feet long. Well, you know, CPH has a poster starting with Adam and Eve at the top all the way down to Jesus through the uh -huh. tribe of Judah. And it is lengthy, has all the tribes, yeah. and then you see, you know, like Moses, where he, he wasn't from the tribe of Judah, and no. where they were all from and such like that. But that's always a good Bible study, just to help people understand that. Yeah. Of course, you'd have to get get your homework done before you started that one. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, uh, remember Charlemagne? He used to say that for every minute you preach, it's about two hours study. Now, that doesn't happen all the time because sometimes you, I would attend a lot of classes, took about um, 60 graduate courses. So a lot of times I was just repeating what the professor said that I learned in class. (laughs) And there he was sitting in front of me. (laughs) Well, look, Jim, I really appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, by the way, you can go and listen to this. It's archived. You can save a copy of it. And uh, you say hi to your uh, wonderful wife. I really miss being with you guys, eating and such like that. But you're just too far away to drive. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we'll come down your way sometime. And if you do, you know you're welcome. Yeah. All right. God bless. Thank you very much for being on the air with me. God bless you and all your work. and Keep you safe, Thomas. Thank you, Jim. And that was James Norton, wonderful pastor. Anybody who has him as a pastor is hearing the word of God in its purity and the sacraments administered rightly. You may have a question about something Jim said in regard to rural ministry or the military. Tomorrow is open mic Friday, so don't hesitate to phone 1-800-730-2727. And we'll do the best we can in answering your questions. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.